So Revelation chapter 12, let's pray and we'll dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We ask now as we, we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. And thank you for everyone who's here this morning, none by chance, all by divine appointment. May you minister to every heart. Thank you for those who are new today. I pray that they would feel welcomed and loved. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray and all God's people said, Amen. as we talk about every week before we get into this text, Revelation is not a difficult book to understand. It is the only book in the Bible that has a divine outline. In chapter one, it says it's, a, it's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And then in, chapter, in verse 19, it says the things which were, the things which are, and the things which are to come. And what the things which were are already existing was seeing Jesus in heaven. If you read chapter one, we see that Jesus is no longer a baby in a manger. He's not a savior on a cross, but he's the almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God, the King of kings, Lord of lords, seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us, and he's coming back. Amen? And then we look at chapter two and three, the things which are, and that is called the what kind of age? Church age. So during chapter two and chapter three, you see the church mentioned 19 times, and you see the letter to the seven churches. Many people believe it's ages of churches, or it's just speaking to the church in general. When we get to chapter four, we move from the things which were to the things which are, which the things that shall come, the things that are about to take place. The word there, or things to come, is metatauta, which means things that are going to take place. At that point, we see that John is called up. Where we get, to, it's harpazo, Latin, it's rapturo, where we get the term for the rapture. Where we see him caught up, and now he's from a heavenly perspective, giving it from chapter four all the way to chapter 19, we're gonna get a heavenly perspective. And so he's looking down, we don't see the church mentioned again from chapter four all the way until we come back with the Lord. So I believe very clearly, and other people would disagree, and that's okay, but I believe that we will not be here for any of the great tribulation as we will have been taken into the presence of God, and God does not appoint his children under wrath. Amen? Amen. So we'll be looking from a heavenly view as well. Now what happens in chapter 4 and 5, we saw the picture of heaven. The focus in chapter 4 or 5 is what? The throne of God. Somebody's paying attention. Thank you, Jesus. So yes, it's the throne of God and the 24 elders around the throne and the rainbow around the throne, the promise of God and the focus in heaven is the throne of God. Then we get to chapter six and we start moving forward and we start to see the righteous judgment of God upon an unbelieving, wicked world. Amen. So when the righteous judgment is coming, it's coming upon those who have rejected God, wanted nothing to do with him. Now, in the midst of that, he had the two witnesses, and he had the 144,000, 12,000 each of the 12 tribes of Israel, the 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams, as I like to say, out there sharing the truth. And people will get saved. Millions will get saved, but many will shake their fist at God. So now, in the last, in 10 and 11, God gave another opportunity for people to repent. Again, by sending the witnesses, we know that they die in the street. We see them raised from the dead. When it was even, even 50 years ago, people mocked it. How could everybody see two people die in Jerusalem and raised from the dead? Your phones would all be pinging right now if it was happening, amen? And you get a first, your front row seat to it. Now, as we come to chapter 12, I'm going to tell you that I don't know if in the entire time I've been pastoring this church, which is 10 years, I don't think I've ever done uh, an interpretational outline, but I did today. So usually if you're new to Bible study, observation, interpretation, application, it's the way I teach, it's the way I study. What does it say? What does it mean? How does it apply to my life? Every week when you get your outline, it's application driven. It's stuff for you to take home and to take what you've learned in the text and apply it to your life. Well, today we're going to look at an interpretational outline. And the reason that we're going to is the stuff we're going to look at. When I told you about the apocalypsis, it's the unveiling of Jesus. I said, always believe that what is written is literal unless it can't be or it says it's not. You know, in a previous chapter, it says that scorpions come up out of the pit. 
and they sting people and they're in suffering and pain, but they won't die. And there's some people say, oh, that's Apache helicopters. You know what I think it is? Locusts that come up out of the ground and sting people because that's what the Bible says. Amen. So I take it literal unless it can't be literal. Now, this, the next chapter 12, 13, and 14 introduces us to three characters of the tribulation period, Satan, the dragon, the false Christ, and the false prophet. We'll be looking at the false Christ and the false prophet in the next coming weeks. Today, it's a, I tell the message, the sign of the times. If you ever outline, grab it. The sign of the times. And in the next few weeks, like I said, we'll be looking at the false prophet. We'll be looking at, the, again, the, the uh, Antichrist in a deeper way. And one of the things we're going to see, and it'll be touched on today, is one of Satan's greatest tools is deception. He will deceive people. He will get people to believe things that aren't true. He's also the accuser of the brethren. Even though he was cast out of heaven, we'll talk more about this, he was cast out of heaven with a third of the angels when he tried to overcome God and become God. But that he still has an audience with Almighty God. We know from the book of Job, he comes up and the Lord says, consider my servant Job. And what does Satan say? Well, yeah, he's got everything perfect. You take away his stuff, he'll curse you. And we saw that the Lord allowed him to touch Satan, and, uh, Satan to touch him, but not allowed to kill him. So he's the accuser of the brethren. And that's who he is. And he's, he's always making accusations against us. But he also rises up rulers that he, I believe, fully influences. I think he, Caesar, there's not a doubt in my mind that Adolf Hitler, if he wasn't demon-possessed, he sure was demon-directed. Amen? And you'll notice that you'll see these groups, and they have a focus on destruction, but they always have a heart to kill the Jewish people. And the reason for that is because that's where the Messiah comes from. Amen? So as we pick up this morning, grab your outline. Like I said, this is my first interpretational outline in 10 years that I've been here. And I tell the message, the sign of the times, because there are signs throughout this chapter and chapter 13 and chapter 14. And my prayer is when you leave here today, you will have no doubt in your mind who the woman is, who the dragon is, and who the child is that we will see in these 12 verses. Because there are some people that misinterpret it. There are some people that believe they are different things. And I want to tell you right now, the book of Revelation is not hard to understand if you use the whole Bible, because there's no better commentary on the Word of God than the Word of God. Amen? So we're going to go, and I want to tell you something. My study time in this was a little more difficult than my usual study time. Ask my wife. You know, and the hours spent because I want to make sure that I take what can be difficult if you don't pay attention. And, I, and again, as Pastor Chuck used to say, leave the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can reach them. Amen. You know, teach deep truths in a simple way so everyone will understand. So we have two points and some sub points here. First of all, it's sign of the times, the woman, the child, and the dragon. I'm going to give it away. It's Israel, Jesus, and Satan. Okay? And we're going to see that clearly in the text. We're going to see it from Genesis 37, where Joseph has a dream. When he has a dream about his family, he sees the sun as being his dad. He sees the moon as being his mom. He sees the stars as being his brothers. And those are the 12 tribes of Israel. We're going to see the child again, born of Israel, clearly Jesus. The, again, the woman, clearly Israel, and then the dragon, clearly Satan. When we hear about Satan, it's going to say that he has great power. He has seven heads and ten horns. Again, these are symbolic. This is the part of the book of Revelation. These are signs, okay? Again, he's going to be a man of power, a man of deception. Then it says on his seven heads, he has seven crowns. The word is diadem. Because what does Satan want to be? He wants to be king. He wants to be worshiped. He wants to be God. Boy, do, are we seeing some satanic stuff going on right about now? When the Dodgers have drag nuns who part of their act is to use the cross like a pole for a stripper and to mock our Savior 
and they give them a war, an award for being community heroes, we have lost our minds. And they lost 15 to nothing. God will not be mocked. Can I get an amen to that? It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But what I want to say is we see the satanic. I love that everybody was rooting for the Giants, all these Dodger fans. Beautiful thing. But when I went, I'm from Northern California. I'm a Giants fan. But here's the point. The point is that our God will not be mocked, and Satan's desire is to destroy you. He hates you. He wants to deceive you. He wants to destroy you. And his number one enemy is Israel and Jesus. Amen? And we're going to see that in this morning's text. Then we're going to look at Satan being thrown out of heaven. Now, he was already cast out of heaven. We'll see that in the first six verses. But when we come to this part, halfway through, as we come to this morning's text, we're about halfway through the seven-year tribulation. The abomination of desolation takes place. We'll see that in Daniel chapter 9. We'll see that after we get done with Revelation, I'm going to teach Daniel before I go back to Matthew. And the reason I'm going to do that is it ties so clearly into the book of Revelation. So we're going to see that he was already thrown out of heaven, but then halfway through during the great tribulation, there's going to be a war in heaven between Michael, the archangel and the good angels and the demons. And guess who's going to win? Amen. And Satan's going to be defeated. He's going to be cast out of heaven to never have access anymore. And he won't be able to accuse the brethren anymore. And by then we'll be in heaven cheering on Michael and team angels. Can I get an amen to that? We're also going to see at the end, I really love verses 11 and 12. How do we overcome the enemy that wants to kill you? How do we overcome Satan and sin and death? Look at verse 11 and 12 on the outline there. We overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. How do they have victory over Satan? By the blood of the lamb. Jesus shed blood upon the cross of Calvary. It signifies the fact that he died for us. The lamb, if you remember in the Passover, the Passover lamb, they would bring the lamb in and they would, and they would, look at it for four days to make sure it didn't have any blemishes. Then they would take that perfect lamb and they would sacrifice it. Then they took the blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross. You remember that? At the feet, at both hands, at the top. And then the angel of death passed over and they did not die. And what that was a picture of is the lamb died in the place of the people. And the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, died in our place. We deserve to be on the cross. Jesus went to the cross for us. He suffered as if he lived our lives so we could be rewarded as if we lived his. Amen? And then finally, again, the blood of the Lamb can redeem all, but there needs to be a word of your testimony. There needs to be confession. Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Salvation doesn't come because you're an American. It doesn't come because you went to church. It doesn't come because you believe that there is a God. There must come a point where you recognize, I am a sinner. I need to be forgiven. And you surrender your life to him. And when you give your life to Jesus, you will have a testimony. And the testimony is, I used to be this person. And then I met Jesus. And now I'm this person. And nobody can deny the transforming power of what God has done in your life. And one of the greatest testimonies to the fact that Jesus is the all-knowing, almighty, all-powerful God, the creator of all things, and the Messiah are the people sitting in this room and people in churches all over the world this morning who have surrendered their lives to the Lord and their lives have been radically changed because they're new creations in Christ. Can I get an amen to that? So the Bible rocks. This is what happens when you spend about 25 hours hanging out with Jesus. Comes flowing out of you. Okay, so let's begin there looking at the woman, the child, and the dragon. I've given away who they are, but let's take a look. It says, now, a great sign. The word sign there in Greek, it's mega Samoan. And what it is, is this is the first of seven signs that John is going to relate. And it's described as a great sign. In Revelation 12 to 14, 12, 13 to 14, the main figures of the tribulation are going to be introduced 
And the great tribulation, that's three and a half years after the abomination of desolation. Now we're in that, remember that when they were in heaven, they had a scroll and no one could open it. Who opened the scroll? Jesus. And as he opened it, he went through each seal. We got to the last of the trumpets. That's where we are now. And this great sign, this picture for us to understand what is going on. In the book of Revelation, we take the writing literally, except when it tells us that it is a sign or that it cannot be literal. Literal, Like I said, the locusts coming out of the ground, they're locusts coming out of the ground. Amen? So unless it tells us it's a sign or it cannot be literal, it's literal. So Revelation 12 makes it clear it is a great sign that reveals the first of these seven signs, these symbols that point to something else. Notice it says there, appeared in heaven a woman clothed in the sun. Because the text says plainly this is a sign, we don't expect this actual woman to appear on earth. It's a sign or a symbol of something or someone else. And as we go through the thing, we'll find out who. Now, there's three other times in Revelation that a woman is used to symbolize something. In chapter two, we saw Jezebel. Jezebel is a picture of idolatry and pagan worship to false gods. If you've been coming on Thursday nights, we looked at Jezebel not that long ago, and Jezebel was married to King who? Ahab. King Ahab. There's the Thursday night crowd, you go. So married to King Ahab, and they were as wicked kings as a king and queen as have ever lived. I've, I've told you repeatedly, Jezebel broke the name. She was so evil. You had many Jezebels lately? No, because that name is so evil. No, if your last name was Hitler, you changed it, amen? And if your parents named you Jezebel, they don't like you. Can I get him into that? So Jezebel, we see that picture. Then we all, we're going to see in chapter 17, the scarlet woman symbolizing the apostate church, the great harlot. And then we're going to see the wife of the lamb. That's the bride of Christ. Who's that? That's us. So we're seeing this picture of this woman. And it says that she is clothed in the sun. False claims have been made about who this woman is. The Roman Catholic Church says it's Mary. And if you've ever seen pictures of Mary, a lot of pictures of Mary, it looks like there's the sun behind her and there's these stars around her. And they literally take this and make a painting to say that Mary, the queen of heaven, by the way, she's not the queen of heaven. They say she's, now, is she blessed among women? What's the answer? And praise God for Mary. Can I get an amen to that? We don't want to go to the other extreme. Praise God for Mary. Had faith, trusted God, put her life on the line. God bless her. She's a sinner saved by grace, just like the rest of us. Amen. We don't pray to her. We, we, don't, we don't esteem anybody. There's room for one celebrity in Christianity. What's his name? Jesus. There it is. Amen. So Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of religious science. Religious science is neither religious nor science, but they call it religious science. And she says that she's this woman. And then she died. So I guess not. Can I get an amen to that? There are people within the Seventh-day Adventist church that have some struggles with this as well. They also believe that Michael the archangel is Jesus, and so do the Jehovah's Witnesses. We'll get to that in a minute. So in Roman Catholic art, like I said, they take this and they depict, they put the moon under her feet, on her head, a garland and 12 stars, and they say, this is Mary. It's not Mary. We're going to see why. When it says there, with the moon under her feet, and on her head, a garland with 12 stars. Now, the best interpretation, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. If you go back to Genesis, uh, to Genesis chapter 37, remember a young man by the name of Joseph, right? A multicolored, you know, favored son who ended up getting thrown in a ditch by his brothers because they got jealous. And then he got thrown in prison. And then, you know, Potiphar's wife tried to tempt him and he got thrown in prison again, right? And then he becomes the prince of Egypt and God had a plan for his life. But when he has his vision, he refers to the sun, the moon, and the stars referring to his parents and his brothers. The 12 stars represent the 12 tribes of Israel. This woman is Israel. Amen? Amen. Now, 
So that's the picture of the woman again. Then it says, then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Being with child. Later in the chapter, this is going to be very clear that this child born to Israel is Jesus. Amen? The reason that the enemy hates Israel is because he knew, knows the Messiah is coming from Israel. Do you know 700 years before Jesus was born, we see in, in the Old Testament that it says that Jesus is going to be born, the Messiah is going to be born where? Bethlehem. And then it says his mom's going to be a virgin. And there's all these prophecies. So Satan, while evil and arrogant, isn't stupid. And so he knows what the Bible says. And so he takes every action he can. Who do you think convinced Herod to have all the babies killed? Not, it was Satan. There's not a doubt in my mind. Why? Because he knew that when the star came, that the Messiah had come, and we need to put a stop to this, so we're going to kill all the babies. And they killed all the ba- many of the babies, but they didn't kill Jesus because he's Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Israel often pictured as a woman giving birth. It's in Isaiah, Hosea, Micah, and Matthew. Had agonized, suffered for centuries, longing for the Messiah. Notice in great pain, for hundreds of years, they'd been in bondage over and over. The Jewish people, a lot of times because of their own choices, they were delivered into bondage into Babylon. They were slaves in Egypt for 430 years because of their own disobedience. But God never gave up on them. God always had a plan for them. And the Messiah was always going to come from them. And God's not done with Israel yet. And I'm pro-Israel because God's pro-Israel. Amen? And by the way, we're going in January if you haven't signed up yet. And it's amazing. Ten days in Israel is worth a year of Bible college. It's so good. So pain also describes the travail of Israel at the time of Jesus' birth. When Jesus was born, they were under Roman occupation and Roman persecution. And they were facing all of this and into this, this child is born. And again, and I love that Caesar called everybody to be taxed so that Jesus and his family would be in Bethlehem. God is in control. Amen? Men make choices, but God is in control. It says, and another sign appeared in the heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. So another sign, the creature here is not literally a fiery red dragon. The dragon represents his nature and his character, and it symbolically suggests his fierce power and his murderous nature. The woman's moral enemy is Satan, who appears as a dragon 13 times in this book. Seven heads, some have proposed, you know, it's possible. It's speaking of the seven world kingdoms where he had influence in Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, the Greeks, and the Romans, and then the final kingdom to come. All who want to destroy Israel. So he's a man that every kingdom he gets involved in has a hatred for the Jews. And again, as we know, we'll see this as we go forward and, and as we go into Daniel, that there's going to be, it says he has 10 horns. There are going to be 10 nations that come together to reform the old Roman Empire. Whether that takes place after we're gone, a lot of people believe it could be the European economic community, but that's starting to fall apart already. But the point is, there's going to be reforming of Roman Empire coming back together with the Antichrist ruling and reigning over them. Good news is, when that happens, we'll be in heaven. Amen? So it's tied closely again with the prophecy in Daniel, and we'll look at that again. In, it tells us about it in, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 8, if you want to take a look at that. Then in verse 4, it says, His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, when he's seeing these visions, he's in heaven and God is showing him these visions. And some are things that are already taking place and some are things that are about to happen. And you just need to be paying attention. Now, notice it says, he drew a third of the stars of heaven 
and threw them to the earth. What do you guys think that might be? The fallen angels. When Satan wanted to be God, you know, I will be like the most high. I, 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 that's his favorite letter, middle, middle letter of sin and pride. Amen, is I. And he wanted to be like the most high and he challenges God in heaven and he gets cast to the earth and a third of the angels go with him and that's what we know today as the demons. Now, in some ways I'm shocked, in other ways I'm not, but I'm blown away that a third of the angels picked Lucifer over God. But that just goes to show you, it's sad. I, w- I wish there was that proportion today. I wish only a third of the world was following Satan and two thirds were following the Lord. It'd be so much better, amen? So he is thrown out of heaven. He's cast down to the earth. And then it says, and the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth. And this is why they think it's Mary, because again, Mary's the one that gives birth, but Mary's part of Israel, amen? To devour her child as soon as it was born. So again, this goes back to what Satan's plot was when Jesus was born, amen? What did he want to do? He wanted him dead. What happened when Moses was born? He wanted him dead. And in each case, God delivers the deliverer. Amen? And they are, again, God's got his hand on him. Now, one of the things I want to say about this, I want to make it just a side note. It's important to know that God never created anything evil, ever. Ever. Everything he created was good, and part of it chose to be evil. Those angels that are now demons were created wholly by God. They were created perfect by God. They were, roamed, you know, they were in the presence of Almighty God. And it was their choice to turn away from God that, God, that cast them down to the earth, and that they are evil by choice. And here's the reality. I hear this all the time. Well, you're a pastor. What kind of loving God would let that happen? I said, you know what it is? It's the free will of man. It's evil people that do evil things, not our holy God. And the only reason he hasn't brought the the fiercest of all judgments yet is he's waiting for people to get saved. It's only by his grace that evil continues because there's a day coming when evil is going to be put to an end. Amen? And it's in these chapters right here. But it's important for us to know that God created everything perfect. We have these fallen angels. So unable to prevent the virgin birth of Christ, Satan tried to kill the child in a massacre of male children. You can see that in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 18. He hates anybody who will deliver God's people from his destruction. Again, he hated Moses. He really hates Jesus, and he hates all the Jews, and he hates anybody who follows Jesus Christ, so Satan hates you. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your family. Why in the world would you ever listen to him? Why would you give him any of your attention or your time? Amen? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Satan is laughing as so many headed for destruction have joined him in trying to silence the message of Jesus. I went onto the Dodgers site, they had this community thing, and I went on there and I said, hey, and I loved it because a lot of people said, I'm a Dodger fan, but I'm a Christian first. And I'm like, amen to that. And I'm clicking those. And I just kept putting in every one, God, God is not mocked. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Oh, by its way, it's 15 nothing. God is not mocked. Can I get an amen to that? But there were a lot of people mocking the Christians. And they were saying, oh, keep your blanking religion and your blanking God doesn't exist and going on. And you know, the reality is when you make a stand for God, there are going to be those that rise up who, who are standing with the enemy and it's tragic. And you know what we need to do for those people is pray for them. We need, therefore, the grace of God goes every one of us. Amen. We need to love them. We need to pray for them. They need Jesus. Now watch what happens. He tries to block it, but she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Now, who is that? That is so clearly Jesus. Okay, when we get to Revelation 19, it tells us what it says right here, that he will rule with a rod of of iron. So Israel bears a male child, clearly this is Jesus, and despite all the efforts to destroy the messianic line by Satan, by the dragon, Jesus' birth took place as predicted by the prophets, and Satan knew 
that the prophecies still could, and he knew the prophecies, he still could not stop it because God's in control. So when it says he's going to rule the nations, in John's vision, both fulfilled and future events take place. It says in Revelation 19, 15, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule with a rod of iron. Who, what kind of a person holds a rod as part of what they're doing, their job? Who would that be? Shepherds, okay? Now shepherds will use a rod to guide the sheep, but also to defeat the, 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 the enemies of the sheep. Amen? And it says here in the end, the God who suffers long won't suffer always, and now he has an iron rod. And now the righteous judgment of God is going to come against the wicked, those who have rejected him, those who are walking in direct disobedience to him, and God is going to bring a righteous judgment upon them. Amen? And it's in the Bible. Guys, people don't like, sometimes, well, I don't like that God. You don't like the God who's holy? That's the God you don't like? You don't like the God who's righteous and just? Amen? That's our God. And you know what? If, if you don't bring discipline, what you have is evil running amok. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Notice it says he was caught up to God. This is talking about a future event, but also talks about the fact that when he came to earth, he ascended to heaven. Amen? So beginning and the end of the earthly ministry, he's born a child, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, ascended into heaven, and when he comes back and he rules all nations with an iron rod. And again, when Jesus returns, he'll destroy his enemies, the beast, the antichrist, the kings of the earth and their armies, the false prophet and Satan. You can find that in Revelation 19, verses 19 to 21. We'll be there in about two months. Then it says in verse six, then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God and they should feed her there 1,260 days. Again, if anybody thinks it's Mary, does that make any sense? Mary's going to come down here and run and hide in the wilderness. This is talking about Israel and those who, in the midst of the great tribulation, after the abomination of desolation three and a half years in, when the Antichrist goes into the temple that's been rebuilt, proclaims himself to be God, they recognize that, they, that he's not God, and he's going to try to destroy them, and they're going to run to the wilderness and hide. Now, anybody seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Seen Petra? Okay, that's one of the places that most people believe that many of these people will run. And do you know that there are Christian businessmen that have put food and, and uh, Hebrew, uh, got the gospel tracts in Hebrew in clay jars there so that when they run there and they're hungry, they will open it up and get fed and, and have the gospel in Hebrew. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Somebody read the Bible and said, that's going to happen. Let's do something about it. Amen. It says this in Matthew 24. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads this, let them understand. Then those who are in Judea, flee to the mountains. Run away. There's a time marker and it tells them to flee. There's a couple other places that are potential places they may run. It may be all of the above. Again, it's a place prepared by God. So even in the midst of God's righteous judgment upon the earth, he still has a place where he's going to take his chosen people, most of, many of whom probably have not surrendered their life to him yet, but he's going to bring them to a place where they're going to be fed and cared for for three and a half years and have an opportunity to repent. Amen? Some of them will come, out, uh, come through that seven-year tribulation because we know there will be those that survive it but man, they'll have to go literally through hell on earth to get there. Some believe, again, the place is Petra. It's south of the Dead Sea. I've never been there. One of these times we go to Israel, I want to take a side trip over to Petra. But the word prepared there in ancient Greek speaks of God's careful planning works on earth as well as in heaven. Do you know that God's in control in heaven, but he's also in control here? Amen? God is in control. That's why we should have peace in the midst of the greatest storms. Another possibility is the city of Basra, 
one of the ancient capitals of Edom. It appears when Jesus returns, this is one of the places he visits and conquers his enemy. It's in Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 4. Another possibility uh, is an area north that covers Jordan and southern Syria named Kedar, which means rejoicing when the Lord comes back. Again, Isaiah 42, 11. Guys, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And when the Lord comes back and he's going to be visiting these places, it very well could be that that's where these people are being provided for by God and where they're hiding out. God's going to preserve and protect Israel during that last three and a half year tribulation when the Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel, stops temple worship, and sets up the abomination of desolation. So point number one there, the woman, the child, and the dragon. Who's the woman? Who's the child? Who's the dragon? There you go. So now you, I hope you remember that the rest of your life. Can I get an amen to that? Because that's who it is. It's very clear from scripture. Now, Satan thrown out of heaven. We know that we fight a spiritual battle, but do you know there's a battle going on all around us all the time that we can't see? Remember the place in scripture where the angel says, I would have come to you sooner, but I was having to fight off the demonic that was, you know, Amen. And, and, and so we see that that's a, there's a spiritual battle that takes place. And, there's a, and, do, and I do believe, because we're going to see in this, this morning's text, it's going to be the demons against the angels, which means they're made of the same substance, which means at one point they were all together in heaven. And now that as they're engaging in a battle, I actually think it's a physical one, however physical it can be in a spiritual realm. I really believe that. Could be wrong, but they're having a battle. I don't think they're just sitting back having a battle with their thoughts. I think they're going at it. And, and, and look what it says here. We're going to see the war between Michael and the dragon, verse 7. And a war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. At the midpoint of the great tribulation, God will turn the tide against Satan, first in heaven and then on earth. We'll see that next week at the end of chapter 12. A battle will take place that will deny Satan access to heaven. A state of war has existed since the fall of Satan, but it will be intensified during the great tribulation. Now, in Jude 9, Michael is referred to as the archangel, the head of all the angels. Some people try to say, that Michael is Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Michael is Jesus. Well, it's nonsense. Amen? Now, one of the reasons they believe that, in Daniel 12, it tells us that one of Michael's duties is to guard Israel, and Michael's name means one like God. So, some Jehovah's Witnesses say that Michael must be Jesus because he leads the angels and his name means one like God. The best way to defeat arguments like that is to read the Bible. Because in Jude 9, Michael says this. He says, he would not rebuke Satan in his own authority, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So Michael says, the Lord rebuke you. He doesn't say, I rebuke you. If he was the Lord, he could say, I rebuke you. It's not the Lord. That's why he says, the Lord rebuke you. Read your Bible. Can I get an amen to that? So people are confused. When you take a text out of context, all you got left is so what? Amen. You got people that don't understand. And that's why we need to study the whole counsel of God. Michael isn't Jesus because Jesus often rebukes Satan and the demons in his own authority. Jesus is not an angel. He is God. He is the second part of the Trinity. Amen. So they fight this battle. Who fights in this battle? Again, it's, a, it's a, truly a battle between equals. The dragon represents Satan. And Satan, does, Satan is not the opposite of God, by the way. People go, oh, there's God and there's Satan. No, there's God and there's Satan. Can I get an amen to that? If anybody would be an, an arch rival of his, of equal stature, it would be Michael. Because Lucifer is one of the greatest of the angels. Michael is the archangel. So He's nowhere near God, so he's going against the closest thing to his level, if you will, his equal, if you will, amongst the angelic, and he's leading the army of the demonic. Guess what? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? And the angelic hosts have God, if God is for us, who can be against us? There was a, 
that scene of that conflict between Michael and Satan in Jude 9, and Satan wanted to prevent the resurrection and glorification of Moses because he knew God had plans for the resurrected and glorified Moses. Here is another occasion where Satan wants to get in the way of God's plan for the end times. Satan, again, is evil and wicked, but he actually is insane because he still thinks, at least some part of him, that he can win. At the cross, he thought he won. And it was the greatest defeat for him ever. Amen? He thought he won the battle because Jesus died. He was rejoicing. He helped, you know, the plot, the plan for his death. He, you know, it entered Judas to, to betray him. You see all these things that Satan does. But in the end, even when it looks like Satan is running amok, never lose heart. Our God is in control and our God is greater. Amen? So we don't have to fear Satan. When is the battle fought? Again, halfway through the time of the great tribulation. It says in Daniel 12, at that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over, watching over the sons of your people. That's Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was seen. There was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered. How is the battle fought? I be, believe again that it's a real fight. Notice what happens. The battle takes place, verse 8. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. This is where he was thrown down to the earth and cast out of heaven when he tried to overthrow the Lord before the Garden of Eden. How do we know that? Because who tempted even the garden? And the, as a serpent, Amen. So he'd already been thrown out of heaven before the heavens, before earth was created. And so he's automatically wanting to be God. He goes in and tells Eve, you can be just like God. Just go eat of that tree. He doesn't want you to eat of it because he knows you'll become like him. And Satan, all he ever seeks is worship. I got in a car with a Christian, this is 15 years ago. And he's got, he had ACDC on in his car. And this guy was a worship leader at a church. And we're driving down the road, and I'm sitting there like in total shock. Dude's singing Highway to Hell. <laughs> Devil gonna get you. I'm like, what in the world are you doing, bro? Satan wants to be worshipped, amen? We don't worship Satan. We don't pay attention to Satan. We leave Satan in God's hands. Can I get an amen to that? Don't give him any praise, any glory, any honor. He's horrible, he's wicked, he's vile. You know, we're not to hate, but we can hate Satan. Can I get him into that? Notice what it says in verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. This is going to be a victory for Satan, but it's going to make things even worse upon the earth during the last three and a half years. Because Satan is cast out of heaven and thrown down onto the earth, and he can never be in heaven ever again. Again, God allowed him to come. He would make, you know, accuse the brethren. There's not a doubt in my mind at some point, Satan is accusing you, accusing me. Amen? And you know what? Sometimes he's right. Amen? Look at that pastor right there. Look what he did. One of your pastors right there. Look at that. Did you see how he talked to, talked to his wife right then? You better just, not, what, what happened? He's not even say, he's one of mine. You know what I mean? That's the enemy. He's also the father of lies. Amen? So at, at this point, he's going to be cast out with no more opportunity to come and interact with God. Now, what's interesting, in that one verse, we, we, first, we're going to see that he was cast to the earth four different times. Number one, from glorified to the, to, to the profane. It's talked about in Ezekiel 28 when he was cast out of heaven. Number chapter two, what happens right here? From access to heaven, it's removed. Then in chapter three, from earth to bondage in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. That's in Revelation 20. And then after he's released for a time where people who make it through the millennial kingdom and they're given an opportunity to follow God or follow Satan, and some will choose Satan, and how tragic is that? 
And then the fourth thing will be from the pit to the lake of fire where he will be forever. Dragon conjures up visions of ferocious power and mighty evil. These are all four names for him in this verse. Serpent of old, he's deceiver in the garden. He's the devil. The name devil means diablo. The word in original language is diabolos. And it means defaming, slandering, accuser of the brethren. And Satan means adversary. So what is he? He's a he's ferocious power and mighty evil. He's a deceiver. He's a defamer. He's a slanderer. And he's an adversary of everybody who follows the Lord. That's Satan. But Satan loses. Amen? I read the end of the Bible. God wins. There's some pictures where people think Satan's in hell right now. He's not in hell. They have pictures of Satan. He's in hell and he's burning and he's just giving orders. No, he's not. He's roaring about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen? You know, and, and also, he's not omnipresent. He can't be more than one place at a time. He does have a lot of demons. They can go places too. He's also not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. But he, I do believe that the closer you are to the Lord, the more he probably knows your name. And I've told people, I hope he knows my name. I really do. But you know what? I have some friends who go, I hope he almost knows my name. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> but I pray that we live so out loud that when we get on our knees, it causes him to flee and be in fear. Amen? Amen. The angels were cast out with them. This indicates that all the demonic spirits, again, these fallen angels who joined Satan in his rebellion against God, those are his angels. These angels, again, are that same third that were cast out earlier. And again, I am surprised, but maybe not, that people would see God Almighty in heaven and still choose Lucifer. But you know what? At the end of the thousand-year reign, we're going to rule and reign with the Lord for a thousand years, and God's going to be on the throne. Who's up for that? Yeah. New heaven, new earth. Can't wait. And there's still going to be people at the end of that who choose Satan. It is tragic. Verse 10. Then I heard a vo loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. It means the accusations are no more. Guys, there's a day coming when Satan will never make another accusation about anybody in this room. Amen? He will be cast down. He will be retired. He will be gone. We will be in the presence of Almighty God. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, no more death, no more sin, no more temptation. We'll be in our new restored perfect bodies where we don't sin anymore. Amen? No more, no more goodbyes. Amen? Never have to say goodbye. Father's Day is tough for me. Father's Day is tough for me. Most of you know my 20-year-old son went to heaven uh, 21 months ago. Not that I'm counting. And I, you know, I'm not getting a card from him today. I'm going to see him again. Can I get amen to that? Amen. And we're going to be rejoined with those that we love. You know, because he sent his son to die, I'm going to see my son again. And we get to heaven, we're going to be, I'm going to see my dad. It's Father's Day, right? Most godly man I've ever met. And I'm going to see him again. And guys, for us as believers, death has no sting. And we're going to talk more about that in the last few verses here. We don't need to fear death because our God has overcome it. Amen? Verse, so verse 10 there, we see the accuser of the brethren. He will be set aside. By the way, what takes place is almost like a courtroom. God the Father is the judge and Satan is the accuser who comes before him and condemns you and makes accusations about you. But here's the good news. As he is accusing you, and even when some of it is true, the Bible tells us in 1 John that Jesus is our defense attorney. And it says this, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen? So when I sin or when you sin, when there's accusations made to the Father of who we are, Jesus steps forward. It's okay. He's with me. I paid for that sin. It is finished. Amen? Yeah. We're seen holy and righteous and just, not because we're good, because of the shed blood of the lamb has cleansed us. Amen? 
and we are righteous in the sight of God. Notice the last two verses. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. Look what it says. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. I'm going to break down each of these three phrases as we finish up here. First of all, overcome by the blood of the lamb. The blood, over, the blood of Jesus overcomes the accusations of the enemy, again, because Jesus already paid the price. But let me say this. The blood of Jesus is not a magical potion, and it's not actually his physical blood that cleanses us. Do you understand that? His death on the cross did it. Amen? But you know people pray? I pray the blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus, blood of... That's just another... That's a Protestant way of saying hell marriage. Can I get amen to that? I plead the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. Stop doing that. Can I get an amen to that? He died on the cross. It's through his shed blood that we've been redeemed. But it's not the blood itself. It's some magical potion. What it is, is it points to the fact that his blood was shed, that he suffered and died. He took all of our sin upon himself. And then he, after his death, he went into the tomb and he triumphed over sin, death, and the grave because he rose from the dead. Amen? And so, yes, praise God for the blood of Jesus, but it's not, you know, holy water. It's not something you sprinkle on people, amen? But people have got, and, and I'm going to have people give me some static after church, so that's okay. It's not, the, it's not Christian abracadabra. Can I get an amen to that? The blood of Jesus speaks of his literal death in our place and the literal judgment he bore on behalf of our sins. By his blood, it emphasizes his death on the cross. Notice it says, of the lamb. I talked about this at the beginning. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, when his earthly ministry began after being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, lying to him and trying to give him the world. By the way, the Lord's going to take the world his own way and he's doing it right here in Revelation. Amen? But when Jesus comes, John the Baptist sees him and says, behold the lamb of God who what? Sins of the world. So the lamb is someone who the lamb would be substituted for someone else. When they would bring the sacrifices in the old covenant, they were they would in some of the actual sacrifices, they would confess their sins over the animal. And then they would take the animal's life and the animal was dying in your place. And that's always been pointing to Jesus. Amen. The blood of bulls and goats can't redeem us, but the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb died again so we could live. He suffered as if he lived your life, so you could be rewarded as if you lived his. Then it says, by the word of their testimony, they overcame Satan and his accusations by the testimony of what the Lord has done in your life. The transformation that took place when you surrendered your life to Jesus and you were born again. The intimate fellowship you have with the Lord as the Holy Spirit now dwells in you. The testimony is who you were before you met Jesus and who you are now as a new creation in Christ and how your life has changed. Guys, the, one of the greatest things that you can do, if you're a newer believer and you don't know the Bible that well, make the Bible your home. Be in it every day. Read the book, don't wait for the movie. Amen? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by. So we need to be on the word of God. But let me tell you this, even if you're a newer believer, here's what you can say. You know, before I met Jesus, my life was a mess. You might even say, before I met Jesus, I had everything the world had to offer, but it was empty. And then I met Jesus. And now I'm a new creation in Christ. I'm filled with the spirit of the living God. He's transformed me. I don't just know about him. I know him. I love with him. I love him. I walk with him. He's my savior, my God, and my king. Amen. And here's who I was, and here's who I am. And you know what changed it? Jesus did. Amen. Now, that testimony also speaks of our confession. Again, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Lastly, as we close, look at, and they did not love their lives to death. If you don't hang on so tightly to this life, knowing that the one to come is so much better, you have nothing to fear. Amen? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Guys, as believers, for me, one of my many favorite Bible verses, it, my wife got me a little plaque. It says, for to me to live is Christ and to die. Philippians 1.21, which means death. Now, we should not, you know, tempt the Lord thy God. We should be faithful with the time God's given us here. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And while we're here, we should be busy about his work because we've got a vapor of time to impact eternity. Amen? But that being said, we don't need to fear death. 
And he says, these, they, look what it says. Let me read to you again. And they did not love their lives to the death. The word love there is agape. It's a self-sacrificing, others-focused, decision-based love. Choosing to love someone outside of ourselves more than ourselves. Guys, will we love our lives to the death? Will our physical lives be the most precious thing to us? Or will we find out that our lives, by losing them, means we will gain everything? Amen? If you want to lose your life. That's why, look, I, again, I'm not going to get political. We've got a church in town. You can go for that. And I love them. And I love them. I love them. God bless them. God's using them. Not me though, okay? So here's the thing. I'm never wearing a mask ever. And it's got nothing to do with being rebellious. It's like, if you got COVID, cough on me. I don't care. If you have, whatever you got, I'm gonna hug you anyway. Amen. You know what? I'm not afraid. Okay, guys, we don't have to watch. I, I see poor people in their car by themselves with three masks on. And I'm telling you, that's somebody who's afraid. And if you don't know the Lord, you should be afraid. But if you know the Lord, you have nothing to fear. Amen. God has not given us a spirit of fear. People that are petrified about everything, nervous about everything, always scared all the time. As believers, that should not be us. Amen? One of the biggest roadblocks to Christian missionaries is Christian parents. Because Christian kids say, I want to go to this country and be a missionary and reach people. And the parents are afraid if their kids go something. And I get that as a parent. But here's the reality. The worst thing the world can do to me is the best thing that could happen to me. You can't threaten me with heaven. Amen. And these that, are, that have victory over Satan, they don't love their lives unto death. They have victory over him because their confession that they've made and the testimony that they have and the blood of the lamb and the fact that they recognize this is not our home. We are aliens here. We're just traveling through and the home is the place that we're headed to. Now again, be faithful with the time you have. Be, a, be, be about it for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen? Last point he says, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Why? You know why? Because Satan can't accuse in heaven anymore. So where is he going? Here. So he says, rejoice in heaven. We'll be there when that happens. We'll be rejoicing with him. He's done. But the earth will get a deeper dose of him. It says, the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows his time is short. Guys, when we get to this point, he's going to know that he's going to the lake of fire really soon. And at the end, that last three years, we're going to see the righteous judgment of God. And we're also going to see the attacks of the enemy all taking place. I want to encourage you to come back in the coming weeks because we're going to see in chapter 13 and 14, the end of chapter 12, how this all starts coming to a head. So in closing, who's the woman? Who's the child? Who's the dragon? Who wins the battle between the angelic host and the demonic? And we have victory over Satan by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony, and the fact that we do not hold on to this life as unto death. But we've surrendered our life to him. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are a great and an awesome God. We thank you for your word. And even though for some it can be confusing, and it does take time, but Lord, it's not a difficult book to understand. Your Holy Spirit has made it clear to us. We know that there's spiritual battles going on all around us right now. Lord, I, I just pray and ask in Jesus' name, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation that they would not heed the lies of the enemy, that they would not be distracted by the things of this world, that they would surrender their lives to you. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says, let today be the day of salvation. You're here not by chance, but God brought you here. And as you're here this morning, first thing you need to recognize is you're a sinner. How many sinners we got in the room? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means you're a sinner just like me. What does sin do? It separates us from God. It's an archery term. We've missed the mark. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, our sin means we could never be in heaven. That's earth part two, if sin is allowed to be there. So there can be no sin in heaven. But I want to go to heaven. Here's how we go to heaven. 
We recognize we're sinners and we recognize that we need to turn around from the life we're living and surrender our lives to the Lord. Not just to say, Lord, save me from hell, but Lord, save me from hell and I wanna surrender my life to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. If that's your heart this morning, the Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. I'm gonna give you a chance to confess him before a cheering crowd of people who love you and will be thankful that you did it. If that's your heart, just raise your hand where you are and I wanna pray for you. Anybody at all? God bless you, brother. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Lord, we thank you for this man who has raised his hand. Your Bible tells us, you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. This man who raised his hand, anybody else here wants to join in this prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ is God. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And I believe through his shed blood, I can be forgiven. Lord, forgive me. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. Help me, Lord, to walk with you. I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.